How's it going, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, the takes are hot. Episode 14, coming at y'all today, this Thursday evening, and a very busy time of the year in multiple different leagues across the country. Um, to kick it off, though, the NHL, we're just getting to the second round of the playoffs, but as we look back to the first round, um, or sorry, getting to the third round, as we look back to the second round, the Oilers and Flames, uh, were matched up and the Oilers eliminated the Flames in overtime uh, and are now facing off with the Avalanche, who eliminated the Blues in six games. So it'll be Oilers versus Avalanche in the Western Conference Finals. But as we go to the East, the Lightning uh, swept the Panthers, who won the President's Cup, President's Trophy as the team with the best record in the regular season. And the Panthers, I believe, had the second best odds to win it all behind the Avalanche. Um, but the Panthers got swept by the Lightning, so the Lightning have been waiting a while now, but they'll be facing off with the Rangers in the East Finals, uh, and the Rangers got there. They played really well. Um, the Hurricanes were a team that coming into that game seven, they won every single home game and lost every single road game. So uh, the Rangers went to Carolina, and the Hurricanes handed the Hurricanes their first loss at home this postseason. Yeah, it was, but all, all series were really pretty good other than that Tampa Bay series. Um, they're all really competitive. Uh, you said Oilers and Flames go to OT in game seven. Oilers take it. Uh, you know, Avalanche and Blues go to game six, which kind of surprising. Kind of the consensus was the Avalanche kind of roll them in four or five. So good to see a competitive series there. And like you said, uh, Rangers take uh, game seven in Carolina against the Hurricanes. So um, really great series there. And so should have a great two series here uh, as we start the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. Uh on the East, we got Tampa Bay and the Rangers. The Rangers are up 1-0, taking last night's uh, game one, I believe, 6-2 to two, uh, in New York. So, a uh, really good outing from the Rangers. I watched uh, most of the game. They just they were on the attack offensively the whole night, um, especially in the second period. They were all over the place offensively. Really good puck movement, really good shots on goal. So, or shots on net, I guess, rather than in, uh, shots on goal in hockey. Um, and then the Western Conference Finals, Edmonton and Colorado. Uh, Colorado took game one at eight to six. So super high scoring game there. I know both goaltenders in that Western conference series. Um, I think one's, I, I think either one or both is a backup. And then I know that um, I believe Colorado's goalies had some struggles this year at times. So a couple, couple subpar goalies out in, in out in the West. And then, uh, so it should be a pretty high scoring series there uh, as game one, you know, eight to six is crazy high score for a hockey game. Um, Avalanche are up one Oh, uh, home with home ice and so the Rangers. So, um, you know, home teams take both game ones. Uh, we got game two tonight of the Western Conference Finals at eight Eastern. Uh, Colorado takes on Edmonton in Colorado again uh, for game two. And then tomorrow we've got game two of the Eastern Conference Finals at eight o'clock Eastern again uh, in New York, Tampa Bay going up north in New York. Uh, should be two really good game twos, um, two competitive game game ones in both series, uh, certainly. Uh, I think, I mean, that, that game last night, Rangers-Lightning was pretty competitive till about most most of the way through the second period um, when New York kind of piled it on a little bit. Uh, and it wasn't super competitive after that, but really good first period, really good uh, most of the second period there. And then the, the Western Conference Finals game uh, was a great game one. So back and forth kind of all game. Uh, so it should be really good. A lot of, a lot of high octane hockey. Good for fans that don't love hockey, I guess, per se. A lot of scoring, which is, which is cool to see. So um, any of the series that go seven games will conclude on June 14th. So um, could be here a while, but – and again, I, I wouldn't mind seeing a bunch of a lot of a lot of playoff hockey. It's always entertaining. I think playoff hockey is one of the best, 
you know, playoff sports you can watch. So it, it's always a great environment. Yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll be looking forward to watching some games when I have the chance here coming up. But I just – I like watching – I mean, I'm not a huge fan of hockey, but I just like when, you know, there's like power plays or stuff like that when it makes it more exciting than just five dudes, you know, skating up and down the ice when you get a goal every 15, 20 minutes of game time. Uh, I don't think it's a fun sport to watch. It's definitely fun when there's fights going on. That definitely oh, for raises sure. the ratings for me. Um. But yeah, uh, gonna be looking forward to it. Got a couple predictions. My prediction for the finals: I think the Avalanche are gonna come out of the West, and the Lightning are gonna come out of the East. And I think the Avalanche will win the finals in six games. Yeah, no, I, I mean Avalanche are you know they've, they've been favored kind of throughout the whole thing. Um, Lightning on that quest for a three-peat. Um, honestly, I wouldn't mind seeing the Lightning. Win it all again. I think it'd be cool. I, I'm not. I, I don't have a vested interest in hockey, so it's not like the Patriots winning three straight. I, I really wouldn't care. Like I'm sure hockey fans would hate it, but like personally, I don't care. So, um, but I, I got the Rangers winning it all uh, in the East, and then taking it in seven against the Avalanche in the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, but they're just they're hot. It's a Cinderella story. Um, shout out NFL Stock Exchange podcast. I listen to them a bunch. Um, one of the hosts, Connor Rogers, she's a huge. Rangers fan, he's like, they're on bar, they're on, they're on borrowed time now. They, they shouldn't even be here. So, um, you know, even getting out of round one, from what he was saying, he's a huge Rangers fan. So, um, I'm pulling for him. I think it's it's a good story. Um, they, you know, they're a super young team. They probably shouldn't be, definitely shouldn't be in the Eastern Conference Finals, let alone the Stanley Cup Finals. So, I, I, they're hot though. I mean, they, like I said last night, they got in, they went on a tear in the second period. So, um, they're hot. They're looking really good. That their young core looks to be. Um, kind of firing on all cylinders right now. It's been a huge lift for them in the playoffs. So, and they've been clutch. They've been, they've, they've gone to, you know, two straight seven game series um, and come away in game seven. So, I'm I'm gonna stick with them. And I'm gonna take them to win uh, in seven in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Even though it's a here in the Stanley Cup finals, it's a huge upset against the Avalanche, but um, the betting favorite. But I'm sticking with the Sun at all story in seven. I like it. I could definitely see any of the four remaining teams, you know, pulling through and getting that Stanley Cup. It'll make it exciting here in the next few weeks as we kind of round out the conference finals before we get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, which should conclude by July, I believe. Um, I'll be looking forward to see, like I said, how those games play out, you know, the kind of the big storylines of each game. That's pretty much it for NHL. Just giving you all a little bit of an update on the playoffs and kind of where things are standing. As we shift to golf like we normally do. Uh, This past weekend, the Charles Schwab Challenge at the Colonial Country Club in Fort Worth, Texas, was played uh, Thursday to Sunday, as pretty much every PGA weekend is. Scotty Scheffler, the number one golfer in the world right now, uh, has won six events this year, and he was holding the lead going into the final round, and he played that round two over on Sunday, and it almost cost him. Uh, Sam Burns was down seven shots to Scotty Scheffler, and he shot five under on Sunday. So he forced a playoff. And in the first playoff hole, uh, it was a par four, pretty long. Sam Burns sunk a 38-foot putt from off the green for birdie and ended up winning the hole to win his third PGA Tour event this year. Uh, another really young guy coming up in the rankings, super hot right now. And I could see him, you know, finishing real high to finish out this PGA Tour season. But he won himself uh, $1,512,000, which is really nice for him. Uh, really good guy who's 
like I said, one of the younger guys is trying to find his footing on tour. Uh, but as for the tournament as a whole, uh, played fairly easy. The low rounds each day were 66, 64, and then 65 each day, Saturday and Sunday. As we shift to current time, starting today, the Memorial Tournament at Muirfield Village Golf Club in Dublin, Ohio, kicked off. Uh, last year, the Memorial Tournament was a pretty big storyline. John Rahm, who was the hottest golfer in the world at the time, was about to win, and he was forced forced to withdraw after testing positive for COVID. Uh, there was a lot of controversy over that. Some people just said, let him play by himself or whatever. Uh, it was really unfortunate for him, you know, a really good dude who's put in a lot of work to get to where he is with all the injuries he's gone through. Um, but with him withdrawing, Patrick Cantlay went on to win it. Uh, he won a ton of events last year. He won the FedEx Cup title, which is the most points. Uh, obviously, the majors, you get more points from placing higher than like a normal tour event, and it's all just compiled into one giant count. And he won that. And in other news for this weekend, uh, Hideki Matsuyama was disqualified today. His three-wood did not meet the tour regulations. Uh, not sure exactly what about it did not. I don't know if it was the shaft length, if it was the club head size. I really don't know any specifics on it, but definitely interesting. You know, he's been a guy that's been playing really well recently. And since he won the masters last year, he hasn't won uh, since, but he's been finishing high. So I thought he would have a good week this week. Uh, but today also marks two weeks until the third major of the year, which is the U S open. Uh, we mentioned that Rom had to withdraw from the Memorial tournament last year due to COVID. He won the U.S. Open last year about a couple weeks after he got COVID at Torrey Pines. But the one this year, uh, it'll be the 122nd U.S. Open. Tees off on June 16th at the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts. Um, definitely one of the nicer looking golf courses while it's not, you know, your typical like pristine PGA, like world renowned golf course that you normally see in Florida or California. It is a really nice course. Uh, saw some pictures of just prep for it, and it looks really fun. And a couple holes in it, they're different than most courses that you'll see on PGA Tour. So that'll be fun to watch, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, kind of getting to the heat of the tour season here is getting to our third major, and a lot of guys are kind of separating themselves from the field right now. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, it's it always fun to watch kind of the Sunday round of most golf tournaments, especially the U.S. Open, um, all the majors for sure. But uh, certainly kind of follow us up the whole weekend. But um, definitely going to watch the U.S. Open for sure. Um, or watch the living room, honestly. I'll just sit there and kick back and watch it. Um, no, it should be good. Uh, and then this past weekend, the sixth edition of the match, I guess it was yesterday, um, kind of started early in the week and then kind of tapered out uh, through the week. But uh was with Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers that faced off against Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. I think both of us took the old guys to win. Um, I think most people probably took the old guy. If they were, I don't know if there's betting lines on it, but they were probably the betting favorites if I had to guess. Um, and then Brady and Rodgers won the first two holes. And then from there, uh, Josh and Patrick, uh, Patty Mahomes kept it close. Uh, they were pretty much square most of the whole way, and they were square one of the last hole in the 18th. And then um, Rodgers sunk a 12-foot putt for Birdie to win the match. It was – I saw the clip of it. I didn't see all the other holes um, of it, but I saw the uh, I saw the twelve foot putt clip on Twitter, and it was it was a nice putt. I mean, kind of 
and it's a 12 foot putt, but it was, it was still solid. Um, it's never easy, certainly for guys that aren't golfers. So, um, cool to see. It's always entertaining to see these guys go at it. Um, I missed most like the actual coverage of it, that class, but, uh, it was pretty cool. Like I said, I'm glad the old guys won. I guess we picked them. I'm glad my pick won, but I mean, oh no, it's just entertaining. It's good content to have, um, kind of withered to doing it during OTAs. thought that was kind of strange, but, um, most of these guys are at OTAs and just took a couple of days off. So, um, you know, for Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, Mahomes, and Allen, it's not a huge deal if they miss a couple of days, I think. I think they're pretty up to par with the offense with the team. So not a huge deal if those guys miss OTAs. Yeah, it was fun to follow along. I was working the whole time this was going on, but I was checking in every, you know, 15 minutes. I watched a few clips when they were just dropped from the previous hole or whatever and was following it pretty much after every hole for the most part. Um, but, yeah, I picked Brady and Rodgers to win by three holes. Um, I was talking about it with someone I work with, and, you know, they just have more experience. Um, I think they're better golfers. Mahomes and Josh Allen's swing are pretty ugly. Um, I didn't think that they would keep it this close, to be honest. I thought Brady and Rodgers would have had it pretty handily, about three holes remaining. But, I mean, nonetheless, it's more fun when it's closer. Um, really, really nice course there in Vegas. Want to play some time. I know they've had a match in the past there before, and it just looks like a really fun course. And you're in Vegas playing golf. So that'd be a fun time. Um, definitely interested to see what the seventh edition of the match brings and who they select to play in it. You know, it should be good. I think it's always interesting to see kind of who they select. And, um, I mean, definitely the four guys you'd probably think of anything NFL quarterbacks. So, um Certainly a good group. I'm, I'm hoping next year we get a couple couple new faces. I mean, we've seen, you know, Rodgers and Brady before. I hope kind of get a couple maybe different old guys, a couple different young guys. I think it would be kind of cool. Um, see a few different a few different faces in there. Maybe a couple of non-quarterbacks, maybe like a Aaron Donald. Maybe I don't know if he's a, a good golfer or not. He may not be as, as big and strong as he is. His body is maybe a little, little stiff. But uh, I don't know. Maybe a couple different players, maybe a couple of receivers. Um, and there's a couple of guys in the Chargers that are pretty good. You know, Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen are pretty good golfers. They golf a lot. I'm sure the Ravens have plenty of guys that are good at golf. And plenty of guys across the league play a lot of golf. So definitely want to see a couple of new faces next year and the next time they run it out, run it out. But um, nevertheless, really entertaining. But kind of wraps it up for golf, kind of shift towards uh, the MLB here. Got our next standings update for this week. Uh, last week we did the stats update. Go with the standings update this week. Back to stats next week. Kind of go every other week like we've been doing. Um, out in the NL East, the Mets still hold a 10-and-a-half-game lead in the division, have the second-best record in the majors, and the best in the National League game over the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, they're on a hot team. I mean, they've won six straight. They look, they're probably the hottest team in baseball right now. They're looking really good. Um, some unexpected heroes in the mound for them. So uh, Mets have kind of lived up and surpassed the hype of the preseason finally. Um, you know, they always kind of have a lot of preseason hype and then kind of come up short. So I think a big part of that's been obviously there's some some unknown stars that pitch at that the in the rotation in the bullpen. But um also Francisco Lindor kind of finally getting his swing back, kind of playing like he should, um, kind of like a guy of his caliber you'd expect him to play. And then everyone else in the division is below 500. So the Braves are 10 and a half back, Phillies are 12 and a half back, Marlins are 13, 13 games back, and the Nationals are 17 games back. They have the second worst record in the majors, which is also worse than the Reds, finally. Um I mean, all those teams have underwhelmed. I think the Braves and Phillies especially. I think I saw the other day the Phillies have the fourth highest payroll in baseball, and the and they have the same record as the Orioles, who have the lowest payroll in baseball. So it's kind of inexcusable for them. I mean, how you have that many guys that you're paying that much money and two all-star pitchers. You got one of the best players in baseball, Bryce Harper, and just a quality lineup throughout. Um, you know, Kyle Schwarber, 
Alec Boehm. Guys, these guys are all good hitters. So definitely disappointing for the Phillies. But uh, kind of shifting NL Central here. The Brewers are still up two games in the Cardinals in the division. They hold the fifth best record in the majors. Uh, and then the Cardinals are, like I said, two games back. The rest of the division's all under 500. Pittsburgh, eight and a half back. The, the Cubs, 10 back. And the Reds, 13 and a half back with a third worst record in the majors. Um, no shock there. I figured, like I've been saying the kind of the whole time, uh, Brewers, Cardinals are going to be close to the whole year. Um, two really good baseball teams. Kind of doing a little bit differently. The Brewers have a couple more stars. Uh, probably the best, the best, if not one of the best uh, rotations in the majors and pitching arms. So, uh, St. Louis so kind of does it with just good baseball overall. They don't have a ton of, like, superstar big-name guys. They just have some really quality baseball players across the whole field now in the NL West. Dodgers hold a three-game lead over the, over the San Diego Padres and hold a third-best record in the MLB and the best run differential in baseball despite a three-game losing streak as of late. Um, still hold the three-game lead over the, over the Padres. And then the Giants are five games back. The Diamondbacks are nine games back, and the Rockets are ten games back. So um, kind of what you expect going into the season here. Uh, so far as standings for the most part in the National League. So, um, you know, if, if you'd have told me that, you know, what, a month and a half, two months in, that the division leaders in the National League would be the Mets, the Brewers, and the Dodgers, I'd have said, yeah, that sounds about right. So um, no no huge surprises here outside of maybe the Braves and, and the Phillies being this bad. Outside of that, though, I mean, you figured kind of the NL Central would be a two-man race, and then you figured the NL West would really be a three-man race. Um, the Giants kind of lagging behind a little bit, I guess, right now, but – um, nonetheless, it's been a really good, really good first couple of months of baseball here. Um, kind of some really big performances. I mentioned Francisco Lindor. Mookie Betts has been – he's probably the best player in baseball at the moment. He had one of the best months of baseball ever um, in the month of May, and he continued it the past couple of days, the first couple of days of June. So, um, you know, Manny Machado's probably the next best guy in the National League right now. He's kind of been carrying the Padres on his back. So, uh, without Fernando Tatis. So, a um, couple of big performances on that National League there to start the year too. Yeah, no, it's definitely exciting seeing these teams that are supposed to do well, you know, and teams that maybe aren't so sp- supposed to do as well, uh, all kind of fighting for the same spots. It's always fun to watch. Uh, but shift to the American League here, start out with the AL East. Uh, the Yankees still lead that division by five games. They have the best record in the league by a game right now. Um, but for the rest of the division, the Blue Jays, five back. The Rays are five and a half back. Red Sox are 11 and a half back and the Orioles are 14 and a half, 14 back. I will say since Adley Rutschman was called up, the Orioles have won four of the five series that they have played. Um, and I think they're like two games over 500 since he came up. So that's definitely something good to see uh, as we start getting more of our high prospects up. I expect that only to be better. So I think we could still, you know, I think we have like the, sixth or seventh i mean we're not we're not at the seller of the league right now which is always good to see um kind of right there around 21 22 um they're looking good improved you know you can't expect too much from a team that is their payroll is less than like 15 dudes in the league individually so i'm just excited to see the young guys produce and finally come up been waiting a few years for it as we shift to the al central uh, the twins still lead the division by four and a half games, the worst record for a division leader in major league sitting at just the 10th best record in the majors. So weakest division in baseball, the AL central. Um, yeah. Like I said, multiple teams and other divisions have better records than the leader of the AL central. Uh, but as for behind the twins, uh, the guardians are four and a half back who kick off a series with the Orioles tomorrow. 
The White Sox are five back. The Tigers are eight back. And the Royals are 12 back that have the worst record in the majors. Kind of shocking there. I thought they'd be a little bit better. Um, but, yeah, just can't seem to get out of a slump that they're in right now. And around out the American League, we got the West. Uh, the Astros still lead the division. They held the fourth best record in the majors. Really, really well kind of put together team year after year, despite, you know, they lose Correa and they lost a few other guys the past couple years ever since they won it all. Um, I mean, they've still played really well each year, even without, you know, a new coach and kind of a lot of new guys showing up for them. But it'll be interesting to see how the, the division rounds out as the Angels are looking good, six back right now. Um, the Rangers are starting to heat up a little bit, eight and a half back. Mariners are 11 and a half back. They're about to lose a series to the Orioles and the athletics are 14 games back. So kind of, you know, pretty spread out division somewhere to the AL East right now, but it'll be exciting to see, you know, if it gets any closer coming down the stretch. Yeah. For, I mean, you know, here's the, here's the thing with the AL West right now. It's like, it just, it's a, it's a surprise everywhere outside of the Astros. I mean, you figured the Mariners who won 90 games last year would have been a lot better. Um, Rangers are surprisingly almost 500 this year. I thought they'd be really bad for kind of one more year. I figured their pitching wouldn't be there this year and has been, which is kind of what's lifted them to this, this point. Um, I didn't know if, if Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon would quite put push them over the edge. I mean, Seager's had a good year, but Simeon's been awful as a Ranger. Um, he's, been, he's been terrible. So um, their outfield still needs a little bit of work, but uh, they're getting there, like I said, eight and a half games back from the fourth best record in the majors is pretty solid. The Angels look really good to start the year, and they're on like a seven-game losing streak right now. Um, they're they're on a skid, but overall they've looked good. Their pitching's looked decent. Um, it's kind of just kind of the tried and true test what the Angels has always been. Like, can they get through that after the first month and a half of the season? Can their pitching still be there? So we're gonna see if it can be. Syndergaard has had a couple of really bad outings. I think he got like one out against the Yankees the other day and gave up like nine hits. So he had a terrible outing. It's gonna depend on what happens there, but. Um, yeah, like you said, everything's basically chalk the rest of the way. And then I, I guess that's how the AL Central being the weakest of the division wasn't shocking, but the White Sox being this bad is below 500 is kind of crazy to me. They've so wildly underperformed. But um, nevertheless, I'll kind of move forward into kind of the big series of the week and weekend. Uh, starting off, probably the biggest series, uh, probably so far in baseball, uh, starting this week or starting tonight, rather, through Sunday, is the Mets traveling to Los Angeles for the Dodgers. Um Battle for the top spot in the National League. Like I said, the Mets are are hot off six straight wins, and the Dodgers are looking to bounce back from getting swept in three by the Pirates, who for the past like five years just seem to have the Dodgers number. Uh, as the Dodgers fan, like they just never, they, they just can't beat the Pirates. They lost a series in Pittsburgh, I think two to one earlier in the year, and then they just got swept in LA. So I, for some reason, they just they've never been able to beat the Pirates. I mean, I'm glad they won't be a playoff team this year, so we'll have to see them again. But um, yeah, really surprising to get swept there, but um, looking to bounce back again. Should be the, I mean, these are the two best teams in the National League, two of the three best teams in the majors. So, um, should be a huge kind of shift in divisional and, you know, National League and, and MLB standings here after the end of the series in LA this weekend. So, um, should be a really good series. Should be really four quality games. Um, gonna see some stars all over the field. You know, for the Mets, you got, you know, Pete Alonso, Francisco Lindor, um, just to name a couple there. And then the Dodgers, you got Mookie Betts, who's, like I said, probably playing like, you know, he's back in MVP form playing like one of the best players in baseball and um, probably have Walker Bueller on the bump for the Dodgers. So that should be a good, a good matchup there. And then out, 
out in Milwaukee on Friday. We'll start a series with the Padres coming into town. Going to go Friday to Sunday. Two teams, the fifth and sixth best records in the in the majors. Um, should be a big series for both teams to kind of keep footing their division races. Again, the Brewers are up two games on the Cardinals, and the Padres are back three games from the Dodgers. So either one of those teams could extend or lose uh, a lead in their division or, you know, the Padres even fall behind the Giants um, who are five games back. So, and two games back from them. So should be a really good series, two really good baseball teams. Like I said, two top six records in the majors um, should be a quality of baseball uh, three game set there. And then uh, the Mets, man, they're the Mets have a, I don't know if, I don't know if we talked about it. The Mets have like maybe the worst schedule I've ever seen in the month of June. They have a gauntlet. They, they play the Dodgers in two series. They get the Padres twice. They get the Giants. They've got a they've got a dog fight in the month of uh, in the month of June. But they travel to San Diego, uh, stay on the West Coast, go just south uh, to San Diego to play the Padres after the series in LA. The Monday to Wednesday uh, again, Stars over the Diamond. Manny Machado is going to be playing still well. Um, you know, still playing really really well. Uh, Padres. I mean, they have a really bunch of really good pitchers, and then the Mets. Obviously, like I said, Lindor and Alonso have been great this year. Um, two mar- two marquee teams. Um, again, another big series for National League supremacy. You know, hit the Padres suit the Brewers, and then they're sitting, you know, a half game back from the Dodgers. Uh, you know, maybe with the third best record in baseball at that point, could be a huge series again for the Mets Padres uh, in terms of National League supremacy, even overall supremacy in the, in the major leagues with records. And then uh, Cardinals at Rays Tuesday to Thursday. Kind of a couple uh, teams with a couple less stars on, on the roster, a couple lower lower level payrolls. Essentially, um, you know, battle of money ball, if you will, just two teams that play really good baseball, clean baseball, don't make them, don't make a lot of mistakes. Um, again, not a lot of superstars in these teams. I guess Wander Franco is a pretty big name for the Rays and, you know, Paul Goldschmidt um, for the Cardinals. I mean, Yadier Molina, Albert Pujols still in the Cardinals. Those guys are on the verge of retirement. So um, they're, they're not making super high impact. So, again, not a lot of people are naming players on the Rays and the Cardinals. So, um like I said, battle of money ball, just two really good teams that play good baseball. Uh, should be kind of squaring off for a good three-game set there this week. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to see these series. I mean, every week there's at least one marquee series that you're everyone's, you know, wanting to see the results of at least everyone that's an MLB fan. Um, but, you know, I haven't really followed MLB at quite as closely um, since the Orioles have kind of been at the bottom of the league. But I've maybe followed it a little bit more this year that just, you know, do the podcast, just seeing more stuff, just been around a little more and the Orioles are playing better. Obviously that helps. Um, but I mean, it's just always fun. It seems every year that different teams always play really well at certain stretches of the year. And it seems like no matter who they're playing, they just can't lose. Um, and then you have the teams that are always there at the top and it's just fun to see all these different teams, you know, regardless of, the series that are being played where they're being played. It's just fun to watch. I think from, you know, a fan of a lesser team. Uh, I just think it's fun to see all these different teams play well and get hot and go cold. And it's just really good for the league as the league goes to a lottery next year's draft. I just think it'll be exciting to see kind of how that plays out. And I think it'll bring more, bring more attention to the game. Yeah. I think that's going to have a big, big effect on the, on the, on the league kind of as a whole, I don't think we've ever talked about this in the pod, but kind of going on, I don't want to call it a tangent. This is still relevant, but I really think that like, you know, in baseball, the trade deadline superstars get, you don't see that in the NBA really. I mean, you see a couple of guys get dealt, but like the MLB trade deadline is insane. I mean, you saw Max Scherzer and Trey Turner, two elite players, their position 
you know, top five guys at their position at the time get traded last year because the Nationals sucked. It's like you don't see that in either. You don't see it in football for sure. You don't really see it in basketball that much, um, you know, and it's like it's just rare. I mean, you, whenever you see a team, like, for example, all series, the announcer talking about how Key Brian Hayes, third baseman for the Pirates, is going to get moved at the deadline because he's got one more. He's, this is his last year on his deal. He's probably not going to resign with them. They're going to be bad. They're going to want to pick up, you know, young capital. I just think it's crazy that, um, you know, that can happen where a team like the Dodgers or the Yankees or the Mets, a team that's already the best team in the majors, can go get so much better at the deadline because there's teams that are selling off their teams because they're just not that good. So it's unique. I don't think it's great for the game, to be honest with you. I mean, my team has reaped those benefits maybe the most of any team in baseball the past five, six years. So I'm not going to say that my team had benefited from it. I haven't liked it, but I don't think it's bad for the game. Kind of similar to how I think about the, the portal stuff with NIL and with USC. My team's reaped the benefits, but I don't think it's good for football. Same thing with, you know, that. So I think the lottery will change that. I think teams won't tank as much. I think you'll still see some teams, you know, moving players, but it won't be these massive prospect halls with massive players anymore. I think it'll be because you're not guaranteed the top overall pick and that can matter sometimes. So I, I hope it does change a little bit too. So um, we'll see there, but it's kind of shifting towards the, the college level here. Um, some big news, like I said, just mentioned with the portal uh, NIL deals, uh, NC state superstar freshman, Tommy tanks, white has entered the portal. Uh, from the Wolfpack after a monster freshman campaign where he hit 27 home runs. Um, he broke the NC State record for homers in the season, and then he broke the freshman record for home runs in a season. Um, I was shocked to see this this morning. Uh, I think – I'm going to his last name, Jordan something, uh, D1 Baseball. I don't remember his last name off the top of my head right now. Um, he's kind of the main, one of the main guys over at D1 Baseball. Um he tweeted it out this morning that he's going to the portal, and I was shocked. I mean, I think I texted you immediately after I saw it, and I was like, man, this is super surprising. I mean, NC, it's not like NC State's a bad program. They were – they could – I mean, they may have won the College World Series last year if they didn't get DQ due to COVID and kind of get totally screwed over. And then again here this year, I mean, everyone wanted to see Tommy Tanks in postseason baseball, and the NCAA committee, I think, really did him dirty, not putting him in, in the you know the field of 64 for uh, – for the regional tournament. So, um, but yeah, no, it's super surprising to see him leave NC state again. It's a solid program. It's not like it's a bad program. The ACC is a good baseball conference as well. So um, it's not like he was at Kansas or Kansas state or, you know, Rutgers or whatever. I mean, he's at a quality program. So um, really surprised. I think he's going to an SEC school. No doubt. I don't know if I, any other team in their conference will land him. I think maybe Texas could land him or like maybe, Kind of like a UC, like an Oregon State or UCLA, another school, um, a couple of schools that are you know powerhouses out west. But I really think it's gonna be an SEC school. Um, and I'll and I'll go with a little a little hot take from the cold seat here. I'm gonna go with LSU as like a pinpointed team. I thought about it kind of all day today, and I think that LSU is a team that's been really close to getting back to that dominance they were at, and they are so desperate to get back there. I think you can say the same thing about Florida as well as another landing spot potentially. But teams is just desperate to get back to what they once were as a baseball power and. They're just not quite there, and I think that a program with that much money would be willing to shell out the money to shell out the money to get him. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, this is crazy. He's the only guy in the in the country who could have gone to the portal and done this. He's the only guy because you know Melendez is getting drafted, Jace Young is getting drafted, Jacob Berry's getting all these guys who are elite players. They're all getting drafted for the most part this year um, as juniors because they're eligible now. So, you know, Tommy was really the only guy that could go do this. A couple other guys like the Kansas shortstop could, but um, pretty crazy. Uh, to see this right here.
Yeah, I mean, when I saw it earlier today, I was shocked. It was really interesting to see kind of what the, I guess, what programs, I mean, obviously every program wants him, but what program realistically could land him. I think I also was like, there's no way he doesn't go to the SEC. Um, but you mentioned Florida. That would, if I had to pick a school, it would be them just because I think they've really kind of taken a dip in their recruiting Um I guess their quality of recruiting these past few years since they won the Natty, what was it, seven years ago, I think. And I think Tommy White's a guy that they could really shout out the money for. Um, I think they have a lot more money than people think. I mean, they're a really, really good athletic department. have always been up there at the top for the most part in a number of different sports. So I think he's de- that's definitely a landing spot to be for him, but – like I said, I mean, any SEC school, whether it be Vandy, Tennessee, I mean, maybe Kentucky, uh, they've kind of jumped onto the scene this year. LSU. A- A&M. Um, A- A&M. Arkansas. Spent the most money. I wouldn't shock me if they tried to make a run here, Adam. It wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Being, consider they're, the, what, the fifth overall seed nationally right now. I mean, they're they're hot. So, that I could see them making a push for it, too, honestly. Any yeah, SEC I mean, school, like you said. An SEC coach said – it's the wild, wild west over here uh, when talking about recruiting for Tommy White. So it'll be really interesting to see where he goes. But like I said, I don't think there's any way he leaves or doesn't go to the SEC. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there 100%. Um, kind of getting to the actual, you know, baseball playing here that went on this past uh, past weekend. Conference tournament included on Sunday. Um, again, not, not a ton of shocking results here. Um, you know, Oklahoma wins the Big 12 is maybe the most surprising of them all. Um, so not super surprising there, but they were hot. Uh, Tennessee, they won the SEC. No shock there. Uh, Stanford wins the Pac-12 again. Maybe you're surprised Oregon State didn't win, but not super surprising to me. Stanford's a really good program. Um, Michigan wins the Big 10. No shock there. Uh, North Carolina and East Carolina win the ACC and AAC, respectively. Um, again, no super surprising outcomes there. I think ACC had been contested all year, and UNC was the hottest team. East Carolina was easily the best team in the AAC this year. Um, they're always a they're a quality program. They're they're always a pretty a pretty legit school there of baseball. So um, not super shocking any results there. And then out in the Big Twelve tournament, Texas Tech related. They went one and two in the tournament for the second consecutive year, uh, finishing with the same record at Globe Left that they did to start the season uh, at one and two. A little disappointing there. Uh, they beat Kansas State in the first game before losing to Oklahoma and Kansas State again. Um, Texas Tech will not host a regional for the first time in six years, which is pretty shocking um, that they won't host. And then the even more shocking part is that they'll be a three seed in the Statesboro regional. So they didn't even come in as a two seed game as a three seed, which I thought was a little bit unfair. I think they play in a great conference, so I thought they should have been a two seed. But nonetheless, they're in the Statesboro regional that is hosted by Georgia Southern, the first time they're ever hosting in, in school history. I think it's cool that they're hosting for the first time. Don't know if they're of host quality, to be honest. I think there's two teams in this in this regional that could have been hosts, being Notre Dame and Texas Tech, um, both of, of high enough caliber to host. I think Texas Tech a little hot and cold like we've always talked about. But, again, when they're right, when they're on, they're a host team. So, uh, And then UNC and Greensboro runs out that four spot, uh, four seed in the region. Uh, they'll begin tomorrow, and they will play Notre Dame in game one. The Red Raiders will, and Georgia Southern will play UNC Greensboro um, in their first game tomorrow. So uh, regionals all kick off tomorrow. Kind of get some games going here. So uh, I'll be paying attention for sure. Definitely watching over the weekend, checking out on scores the whole weekend. So it should be good. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I think it kicks off at 1 uh, Central tomorrow. As they're playing in Georgia, it'll be on Eastern time. 
Um, but yeah, it sucks that Tech ended up a three seed. Thought they could have been a two, but for the sake of this regional, uh, they would have been playing Notre Dame either way. So a tough matchup to kick off the regional here. For Texas Tech, it'll be fun to see kind of how that plays out and who comes out of this regional. Um, but there were also 15 other regional hosts this week as they were announced on Monday. Um, there'll be regional in Auburn, or the Auburn Tigers will host as the 14th seed. Uh, Austin, where the Texas Longhorns will host as the number nine seed. Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech Hoagies will host. Uh, They're the number four seed. Chapel Hill, where the UNC Tar Heels, who won the ACC, like we said, will host, and they are the number 10 seed. College Park, the Maryland Terrapins are hosting for the first time in school history as the number 15 seed, so just made the cut there. Texas A&M Aggies, uh, really, really hot to end of the year, went all the way to the five seed. Uh, there will be a regional in College Station. Coral Gables, uh, the Miami Hurricanes have always been right there at the top, and they will be the number six seed. Corvallis up there in Oregon, where the Oregon State Beavers have been a really, really kind of underrated program since they won the Natty a few years back. They'll be the three seed. The Gainesville Regional, where the Florida Gators will host, being the number 13. East Carolina will host winning the AAC. In Greenville, the number eight seed. So if they win, they would be the last team in the, to host a Super Regional. Southern Mississippi hosting for the first time ever in Hattiesburg. They'll be the 11 seed. Knoxville, Tennessee Volunteers, and the one seed. Everyone knew that was coming, especially with them winning the SEC tournament there. Louisville Cardinals and Louisville will host and be the 12 seed. Stanford Cardinals beating out Oregon State in the Pac-12 championship will host, being the two seed. Georgia Southern, like we said, and Statesboro will host, being the final team to host as that 16 seed. And then there will be a regional in Stillwater, where the number seven Oklahoma State Cowboys got up there um, likely due to their getting a few wins there in the big 12 tournament. Like we said, um, looking forward to see how these regionals play out where there's four teams in each regional. So we got 64 right now, somewhere to March madness in terms of number of teams. And then after this weekend, it'll be cut down to 16 where only the one regional winner will travel to a regional host and they will play a three game set. The top eight remaining seeds that come out of the regionals will host a super regional. And the winners of those eight regionals, super regionals, will then go on to Omaha and play in the College World Series, which should be exciting this year. I mean, it's easy pick Tennessee, but there's a lot of teams that I think could get hot at the right time and pull through and win it all. Yeah, no doubt. It's always really entertaining. I love the College World Series, always have, but definitely is a big college baseball fan now. I'm always going to watch the College World Series. Should be really entertaining. Like you said, a couple teams could get hot and you want to run and, and knock off Tennessee. So I'd, lo- I'd love to see it personally. But yeah, it should be fun to see how those regionals play out. Always a fun time of the year when we have playoff baseball going on, especially here as college students. Our team's right in the thick of it. Um, really exciting to see, you know, what teams kind of take the reins of the playoffs and get real hot. Um, going down the stretch there and you know maybe a sleeper can make a run in Omaha so I mean the Warriors as we shift to the NBA the Warriors have been very very impressive this year Um, you know they've been they went they had that year of five straight going to the finals whether they won or not they were the representative the representation of the Western Conference 
when the season was all said and done. And then they took that kind of two-year gap where, you know, Clay had his injury. Steph wasn't fully healthy. Um, they lose KD. Draymond can't stay healthy. But out of that, I mean, they come out of that this year right back like they never left. Uh, they got Wiggins. They drafted Poole and Jonathan Kaminga, you know, with those high draft picks that they had from kind of playing not too well. They're looking really, really good right now. They have the roster to get it done. And they'll be facing off with the Celtics in the finals. Uh, they finished off the Warriors, that is. They finished off the Mavericks in five games last Thursday. They won by 10, 120 to 110 to clinch a spot in their sixth finals in the past eight years. The Heat beat the Celtics in the East in game six on Friday, 111 to 103. Um, Jimmy Butler had 47, 9, and 8, and 4. Um, really carried the Heat there as they won in Boston, which was exciting. Um, I thought they could maybe do it in game seven, but at the same time, I just think Jason Tatum's too good. Uh, so in game seven in Miami on Sunday, the Celtics won it. They clinched the East. They clinched the finals burst to face off the Warriors. They won 196, which was a really, really exciting game. The Celtics were rolling in the first quarter like they have most of the series. Heat got it close, second and third, and then the fourth Celtics just outplayed the Heat there. As Tatum, Smart, and Jalen Brown all had at least 24 points. Um, kind of not your typical night there offensively from Boston, as you know, Tatum normally is pretty up there in scoring, similar to how Miami was most of the series. I thought we would get a more balanced attack from Miami, but Adebayo really only showed up for a couple games that series. So it was unfortunate for the Heat. Um, I don't have anything against the Heat. I don't have anything for the Heat. I just – I think I like him. I mean, I think I really, really like Jimmy Butler. You know, he's been around and he seemed like a team guy wherever he's been, and it's nice to see him kind of carry a team because some, some other guys won't produce or can't stay healthy, whether it be Tyler Hero or Kyle Lowry. Um, but the Heat were one and three at home in the Eastern Conference Finals. They hosted game one, two, five, and seven, and – they only won game five, which was a little shocking, or game two, sorry. And I just thought they played better at home. You know, they have one of the better home crowds in the NBA. It was a little upsetting to see, you know, kind of I wanted some home team, more home teams to win as we've had in the NHL this postseason. But I always like, you know, I think the players are a little more motivated when they play road games and home games. And I think it's always fun to see, you know, things get all shook up um, as we kind of had – two teams that are, have always been really good, but in Boston and Miami, they've, they're both right up there in the COVID season. It's cool to see them get back to the top of the East. Um, it's just fun seeing new teams each year. Um, I mean, they're really the two top teams there for the last month of the regular season. And then throughout the playoffs, they've just been the hottest. Um, but the finals, game one tips off tonight at 9 Eastern on ABC and ESPN in San Francisco. The Warriors are favored by three and a half. I'm going to take the Warriors there. Uh, I think the Warriors win by nine tonight. Let's go 104 to 95. I'm going to go Warriors. I, Steph gets 35. Uh, Draymond plays really well. But, yeah, I'm going to go with that. But as for the series as a whole, I'm taking the Celtics in six. I think the Warriors, like I said, win tonight. And then they also take the second of the game three and four in Boston. I think the Warriors, you know, win game four, tie it up 2-2. And then Boston wins the next two. Um, I think Boston's really good. I 
think the Warriors have kind of been the mold for a lot of teams in terms of what they've wanted to build with their young guys. And I think Boston has taken advantage, you know, Ime Odoka and Steve Kerr, both uh, players and former assistants of Greg Popovich. Uh, I really like Ime Odoka, Odoka a lot. I think he's a much better kind of coach for that team as compared to Brad Stevens. I think Stevens ideal role was always in the office rather than on the court. But I like, I just like to see young guys produce. I really like Jason Tatum. I, I mean, I like everyone in this final. There's not, no one I have anything against. But, yeah, I'm taking Celtics in six. I just think Tatum's going to be too much, and I think the Celtics have the defense to counteract the Warriors' offense. You got, you got specific with it, with it on, on game one predictions there, going the, the score the score prediction, step with 35. Um, I'm taking Golden State in game one, minus three and a half for sure. I think they probably win. Um, probably about six to eight potentially. Uh, it just it really depends on how how much fouling goes on at the end. Uh, it's something I hate about basketball. Um, college is even worse. Don't even get me started. But um, again, it should be a, a win for Golden State tonight at home uh, by more than three and a half. Call it four. Um, I'm taking the Warriors in six personally. Um, I'm with you there. I, I like a lot of guys in the series. I, I, I as a Lakers fan, I don't like the Celtics, but I, I love Jason Tatum. I think he's really good for the NBA. He's a phenomenal player, um, but I just – I don't know if they're going to be able to get it done. I think their run right now has reminded me a lot of Phoenix's run last year where they – and it's not their fault, but they've played some banged-up teams. Brooklyn was banged up. Obviously, they played way better than Brooklyn in round one, but they were banged up. They also hadn't played together at all that year. Um, I mean, you know, Kyrie and KD played like six games together before that, so however many it was. So – they're banged up. Ben Simmons never saw the never saw the court, so you know that's on him. But and then they see Milwaukee without Chris Middleton, who is arguably the best, you know, one of the best playoff players on that team. Um, he was pivotal in their run last year to a championship. Um, so they kind of they go to seven with with Milwaukee, uh, and then they see a Heat team that was a little bit injured. You know, Tyler Hero really didn't. I mean, he played what like ten minutes in Game Seven. Really didn't do anything. Um, just a team that was banged up, tired. Um, I mean, Jimmy played every second of game seven. And, um, you know, had he made that three or had he just taken a two potentially, could have been talking about a different series, different different finals matchup. So um, I, I just – I think Golden State's healthier. I think they're fresher than Boston. Um, I just think there's they're too much. I, I think Golden State's going to go – go and go, like I said, win it in six – and the Celtics take game game three. I think they go down 2-0, losing both in Golden State, and then they take take game three back in Boston. And then they take game five uh, in Golden State. Uh, I think they, you know, they, they've only lost two straight. They have actually they haven't lost two straight in this playoffs. Um, I think they do it for the first time with the first two games in this series. Then I think they don't do it again. I think I think they win game five uh, in Golden State, but I think they close they get closed out in Boston on their home court. Uh, they haven't been a great home team this series. It's not like they've been this dominant, you know team at home all, all, all postseason. So uh, I'm going to take Golden State to beat them in Boston. Um, almost picked Warriors in five, but I just didn't think that, that Boston would get beat uh, two times in a row twice. So, um, yeah, I just think – I think Steph's going to win MVP. I think Steph's on a mission. He looks like the best he's looked in, in quite a few years. Um, game six, Clay is might be the best player ever in NBA history. That guy's cold. Uh, and they just listen. If Andrew Wiggins keeps playing the best basketball of his life, I don't think it's close. Um, at least, you know, as a from a serious perspective, I think I was we we're talking about this before we started today, but um, I think it's going to be all the games should be pretty good. They should be pretty close. I think these are two 
very evenly matched teams. I just think in the end, Golden State might have a little bit too much in the offensive end. I know Boston's got Marcus Smart, and he was Defensive Player of the Year, and he's incredible. I just I don't know if they've got enough to stop what Golden State's currently doing and clicking so well on offense with Poole. I mean, Gary Payton the second has had some crazy shots. He's made some super clutch buckets this these playoffs. So um, if they can keep you know getting getting contributions from all those guys, it's gonna be hard to beat them. And I'm gonna stick with that. Um, and we'll kind of move on for some some news that came through today. Kind of shocking. I, I really didn't expect to see this this morning. But um, Nike co-founder and former CEO Phil Knight. Um, I think he's a board member now. He's no longer the CEO. It doesn't need to be. He's super old. And uh, Dodgers part owner Allen. Smolinski, Smolinski. Um, he's a, a minority owner in the large group, the bottom, uh, one of the larger minority owners, I should say. He's not like a majority owner, but he's got a large minority stake in the Dodgers. Um, they spearheaded a group that made an offer, a written offer to purchase the Portland Trailblazers for just over $2 billion, just obscene. Uh, team released a statement, an official statement, like from the front office and like the ownership. Uh, the offer was made and that they did receive an offer, but the team remains, quote, not for sale. I am not buying that for a minute. I think they are going to get sold. I'm kind of it's been quiet, I, but I, it's not shocking to me, to be honest with you. Portland's kind of a team that's looking at a massive rebuild right now. And um it wouldn't shock me if they got sold. I'd, I'd actually love to see it. I think it'd be awesome for them to get bought by Phil Knight and, and, and that group. Um, I think they'd have some sweet unis. They'd have some sweet gear. They already have Nike, but, like, let's see what Oregon does. I mean, every college has Nike, Under Armour, Jordan, whatever. But Oregon does a little different with, with Phil Knight. So I think it'd be cool for Portland to get that. Again, Oregon ties with Phil Knight and Nike. I think it'd be cool. So um, definitely, I guess I'm pulling for that to get sold there. I didn't really bother me either way, whether or not it does get sold. I think it'd be cool um, nonetheless, but uh, I'll kind of shift over to the NFL. That's probably it for the NBA. Um, unless you had anything to, you wanted to say about that, that kind of offer they got made. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it makes sense with him being from Oregon. Um, one of the lesser teams in the league, you know, always speculation that ownership could change. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how it goes, but if he's looking to buy teams, I know, He's probably doing it because it's in Oregon, but you should buy the Washington Commanders. I think for anyone that's looking to buy a team, that's probably the most attractive offer um, just because it's NFL and because of all the new things that are coming about, the new name, the new logo, the new uniforms, helmets, stadium, really entire rebrand there. So I think that would be a fun team to buy. But yeah, I mean, I hope this goes through. I'd, don't yeah, like you said, I don't really ha- carry their way, but it'd be fun to see some new ownership, some kind of rebrand and stuff like that. Yeah, no doubt. I guess well, we just I just got a notification on ESPN. I don't know if you got it, but we'll kind of yeah. I guess we'll we'll break some news here. Uh, Daryl Stutter earned or won NFL NFL NHL Coach of the Year um, <clears throat> after leading the Calgary Flames to a Pacific Division title. That's pretty cool. Um, wouldn't have guessed that he would win. I I wouldn't have known who would win, to be honest. I don't follow the NHL much in the early season, but cool to see. Um, First coach of the year in his 20-year, his two-decade career, 20 years. So that's cool. Good for him. That's really cool. Um, Glad to see that. So, um, yeah, thought we'd talk about that for a second. I saw that come through on my my phone when we were recording here. But we'll kind of shift over to the NFL. Um, Not a ton of news, just some stuff, minor stuff here and there. Um, Big one was – I guess the biggest thing this week was that the Browns and tight end David Njoku came to an agreement on a four-year – 
$56.75 million contract extension, keeping him under contract to the 2025 season. L plus the Browns forgot ball. I mean, what is the, what is going on with this contract? I, I, I thought this was terrible that they that they tagged him and they gave him this kind of money is yeah. dumb. I mean, he's making more money than Mark Andrews now, who's way better than him. And I don't think I think Njoku was replaceable personally. I, I mean, again, they could they could do better. And I also don't think that they can be in a position to be handing out that kind of money right now with Denzel Ward's contract on the books now. Nick Chubb's contract on the books, Deshaun Watson's worst contract in NFL history on the books. They've got other guys to pay. I mean, Jedrick Will is going to have to get paid pretty soon. He's going to get paid a lot of money. There's a bunch of guys that got to get paid. So I hated this contract, to be honest with you. I, I thought it was terrible. Yeah, when it came through, I was shocked. Didn't really make a whole lot of sense. You know, he didn't play much last or two years ago. And they had Austin Hooper, who I think is a top 10 tight end in the right system, obviously. You know, a lot of tight ends yeah. can kind of do similar things in the same system. For sure. But I think he's a really good route runner, separator. Uh, I think he's better than David Njoku, and he signed a $6 million deal with the Titans. So would you rather pay a guy 13, over 13 a year or 6 mil uh, when the 6 mil guy is arguably better? I don't know. I'm going to let the Browns do the Browns. Uh, poverty franchises stay poverty franchises for a reason. And when there's a salary cap in the NFL, the reason is putting your money in the wrong spots. And that's what the Browns do here, uh, especially really confusing here is, like you said, all the contracts that are starting to get escalated and guys resigning for big bucks in Cleveland. Uh, it doesn't look like Deshaun Watson's going to play at all this year. So, it looks like the Browns knew that going into it. So Deshaun's cap hit isn't big this year, but the next four years is going to be insane. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle that and where they put their money. I just I, here's something to me, like, and we've talked about this at length on the podcast and even further at length off the podcast. But tight ends are so expendable, and there's only a select group of tight ends that are valuable and are top tight ends in any system. They're they're not system dependent or scheme dependent or quarterback dependent. David Njoku is not one of those. And especially if you're going to have Deshaun Watson playing quarterback, not this year, but maybe in the third, this plan for the future, draft one next year. Dra- There's going to be some monster tight ends in the draft next year. Eric Gilbert out of Georgia is a monster. And Michael Mayer is a monster out of Notre Dame. They're probably going to be bad this year in a position to draft one of those two guys in the top 15. Take one next year. He's contract controlled, low money, and potentially a guy who's, worth paying later on i don't think david njoku is worth paying like you said austin hooper would have been fine to resign for six million dollars he's just fine especially if you're not gonna have you're not gonna have Deshaun this year it just I, i'm never a fan of paying the tight end i was happy on the charge that hunter henry walk because i didn't think he was worth paying the money but he's a good tight end and he's, he's a really he's like a fringe super valuable t- you know what i mean he's like at the fringe of that group I don't think – I think he's better than Njoku, and that's about the money he got. So, I just – I don't know. I, I hate it. I just – it's so – it's just bad. I, mean, I don't mind. I don't, I'm cool with the Browns staying – like you said, poverty franchises stay poverty. This is why. But I just – again, it just bugs me when I see teams doing this. It's like, guys, it's not that hard. Draft a tight end in the second round or third round next year. I guess another pick next year. I guess I misspoke. Another pick next year. But either way, like, you could take one in the third round next year and be just fine. That's all I'm saying. Or this year. They could have done it this year. Yeah, they could have. It was a little confusing why they did. Um, but I guess 
figure out what else they do in that tight end room because I think they really only got one guy right now. So that'll be interesting to see as a division rival. Uh, the Ravens are a team that does make the right moves and puts the money in the right spots. And they did that this past week, kind of their first signing after the draft. They signed Kyle Fuller, who was a top tight, or tight end, a top corner in the league in 2018 and 2019, right up there with that, you know, probably a top five corner there. Um, but he kind of fell off the past few years, not expecting much from him, um, just to be a solid kind of corner three, corner four guy. The Ravens signed him for two and a half mil, which I think was about what I expected. You know, he still could have a really good year. He still has a lot of juice left in him, I think. I think he could be a really good guy that plays well with other guys around him. Um, you know, in 2019 and 18 on that Bears defense, he was kind of, you know, the staple of that defense or uh, secondary at least. And I think, you know, now as maybe he's not in his prime that he could maybe get close to being back there with other guys around him. But I like it a lot. Um, kind of filling out the depth in the secondary, which was destroyed last year by injuries. Uh, we side note, um, Mark, Wink Martindale, who was our defensive coordinator the past three years, took a job to be the defensive coordinator with the New York Giants. And he was in a press conference talking about, you know, just kind of secondary and how you keep guys healthy and what did he learn from last year where the Ravens whole secondary was injured, basically. And he said, don't find corners from DoorDash. Um, it was a funny clip I saw. But, yeah, I mean, I like that we have depth of proven NFL guys, whether it be vets or guys already on the roster. Uh, a couple of rookies there should be nice, and it will help them kind of accelerate their learning process, having all those vets around them. So I'm excited what the secondary has to prove this year. They got a lot to prove. I mean, worst pass defense in the league last year. Um, so it's kind of fun to see where this secondary is going to go. You know, for sure. It's a good sense. It's a good depth signing. I mean, that, again, two, two and a half is about what he's going to get. It's a solid depth piece. A guy who's just lost a couple steps, a couple injuries, gotten older, happens at the corners. Um, but no, a really solid depth piece. He's a really, really, really good corner, three corner, four guy who's got inside outside flexibility. Probably more of an inside guy now that's a little older, but a guy who could even maybe play some safety if needed him to, kind of in a multi, kind of a two or three safety set. He can maybe play some safety if you wanted to. Just a versatile defensive back. Never have enough of, enough of those guys, especially in Baltimore, where that DB room just seems to have the injury bug year in and year out. So it's a it's a quality move. And again, the Ravens making the right move there. Um, kind of getting into some retirements here. Um, seven time Pro Bowler, uh, center for the most part, most of his whole career with uh, Cleveland, Atlanta, and I think he played a couple of years in Seattle. He played in Seattle for a little bit too. Uh, Alex Mack. Is retiring. Um, really, really quality player. A couple All Pro appearances, I believe. A perennial Pro Bowler when he was in his prime. Um, calling it a career. I believe it's a 14, 12, 12 year career for him. I can't remember yeah, how long. Like that. Yeah, but he, I think he played just over ten years. Um, really, really good player. Um, like I said, super high quality guy. Perennial Pro Bowler. So calling it a career. Happy for him. Gets to go retire, enjoy his life, and probably get super shredded like every other offensive lineman that retires. And they a year out, they go from like 320 to like 220, and they're just absolutely cut, which is insane. Yeah. Uh, side note, Ali Marpet, you see the picture, yes, the video of dude. him on the boat. Yes, he, looks he like, was. He looks he like was, a wide receiver. Dude, he looks insane. Man, it was impressive. That guy was Mar huge too. Marpet was a offensive lineman for the Bucks when yeah. Tom Brady was there. Uh, was most well known, obviously, but I mean, yeah. he just retired and he's 
a lot smaller than he was. Um, it's kind of fun he to probably lost a hundred transformations. Oh, like hundred pounds plus he lost. It's insane. And he's like he's super super lean. It was beyond impressive. Yeah, it, that was cool to see. But uh, as we continue retirement news, uh, longtime journeyman QB Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's Magic himself is retiring from the NFL. Played for nine different teams throughout his 17-year career in the NFL. Currently talking with Amazon to have a role um, in their NFL games that they do, the Thursday night games as a reporter. I don't know exactly what his role would be, but nonetheless, would be really fun to see him, you know, maybe with a mic on the sidelines or in the booth. Um, a really good guy for the league, I thought. Just kind of a funny dude. Um I was always really supportive of whoever he was playing behind or playing with. I mean, playing for nine teams, you got to be a pretty well-respected guy. Here's here's a hot take from the cold seat. Get him on the McAfee cast. I would I would love it. I, I love him in any ways in the booth. Get him with McAfee. That would be so mm-hmm. epic. Be incredible. Um, that would be awesome. I would, lo- I would love to see it, honestly. It would be awesome. Um, but either way, a guy who's – notorious for just going off on people through four weeks of football and then just disappearing off the face of the earth statistically through the rest of the season. But um, pros pro total vet uh, 17 seasons. I mean, the guys, guys, awesome. Um, Great personality. So again, gonna, gonna be a great guy in the booth, I think. So really looking forward to that. And then um, this guy, surefire hall of famer. uh, One of the greatest statistical careers ever. Frank Gore. Signed a one-day contract with the 49ers to retire as a member of the San Francisco 49ers. Um, hadn't played in a few years, in a couple of years, I don't think. Most recently is boxing. Um, didn't didn't go. I don't think it's going to be a career for him. I mean, he's a yeah. fine boxer, I guess, in amateur boxing, but he's not a boxer by any means. Um, he gets to retire a niner, though, which is, which is awesome. It's where he was dominant when he was in his prime. Um, a guy who's – top five in nearly every rushing rushing statistical category um like i said surefire first bottle hall of famer in my eyes the guy's a legend of the game um a guy that our generation grew up watching this guy was awesome um guy was kind of in his prime when we were like kids so uh, i remember frank gore just bullying people just running people over it just a really good running back um glad to see he gets to retire as a niner which is really cool so um yeah like i said first bottle hall of famer in my opinion yeah, I like it. Uh, kind of wrapping it up here after a really, really storied career in the NFL. You know, running back position nowadays, you see so much turnover, and it's kind of – he was the kind of last guy of that generation um, of guys that really had the long, solid careers um, and were really successful throughout their time in the NFL. So it's fun to see him hang it up here and kind of maybe the last one of his era, um, Adrian Peterson and now Frank Gore kind of, Fun to watch, um, but time to move on. I'm really excited for him. It'd be fun to see, you know, the whole Hall of Fame induction for him. But as we, as I continue kind of talking about the AFC North here, the Steelers, they held a bunch of interviews for potential GM candidates, and they selected Omar Khan. You uh, will succeed Kevin Colbert, who was the GM for the Steelers the past 22 years. He was responsible for both their Super Bowl titles, you know, all those division titles in those past couple of decades. Um, I mean, it doesn't have a huge impact on the team as of now and their play during the season. This offseason is pretty much wrapped up. So I think it'll really only matter starting, you know, once this season wraps up. So starting February, I think that's where you'll really see maybe some changes, some different approaches to their offseason, maybe more aggressive, less aggressive, um, valuing guys at different spots, 
putting more value in specific positions. But, I mean, I guess it's fun to see some turnover after kind of, you know, you knew the Steelers' identity for 22 years was the same and you knew what was going to happen. I guess having a new GM, you know, why Mike Tomlin's still there, I don't think anything will change much during the season. But in the offseason, I think it could be very different. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Khan was – Kind of the guy that people expected them to hire. I think he was an internal hire. Correct me if I'm wrong. I wasn't. I think he was with yeah. the organization for a long time. Um, I don't remember what his title was, but I'm. Yeah, he was with the organization for a long time. It, I think that's the right thing to do. I, you know, the Ravens did it with the Costa. I think when you're moving on from a successful gym who just retires instead of firing a guy, I think it's better to promote from within that way. A guy who's been under that GM, similar like what the what the like I said, what the Ravens did with, with the Costa and Ozzy. So um, good hire them. I think that's the right hire for the Steelers. Um, they kind of always seem to make the right decision there, personnel, staff-wise. So, good move there. And then uh, kind of wrap up the uh, the news here, Steelers news this morning. Probably the most shocking news of the day, I think. Um, maybe the Tommy White thing is a little more surprising. But uh, Pro Bowl defense lineman uh, Stephen Tewitt for the Steelers has announced his retirement after a very successful seven-year career. Uh, he took off 2021 uh, this past season. After the tragic passing of his brother, I think they were, I mean, they were super close. Um, it was hit him super hard, which understandably, I mean, it's, you know, his brother, one of his best friends. Um, not other, not, like I said, not just his brother, one of his best friends. So I took the season off to kind of grieve and be with his family, um, which 100% in support of. Um, a huge blow to the team that he retires. He'd had some health injuries, health concerns as well, some injuries. Um, but again, when he was, when he was right and he was on the field, he was dominant. He was part of that monster defensive line with, uh, with Cam Hayward and TJ Watt. So um, definitely a big blow to the Steelers. I, I would assume they kind of saw this. They knew this was coming. I, I would assume that they've known for a little bit that he was going to retire. Um, but definitely a huge blow to the team. He's blow to the locker room uh, and the fan base. I think, you know, he's a guy that the fan base really liked. He's a good guy. Um, like I said, I think everyone in football was in support of him taking the year off after his brother passed away. Um, but, again, a, a super successful career, seven-year career. Um, you know, so he gets to retire. Um kind of cutting it early, I think. But, uh, you know, again, it, it's the right decision for him. So I think it's it's the right move. Yeah, I mean, playing him twice a year in that D-line, you know, the Steelers always put all their chips in similar spots as the Ravens. And for a while there was the D-line. Um, obviously, longer for the Steelers than the Ravens. But he was a really good guy. Um, you know, that D-line was looking really good with him in the middle of it. Um, and they still a really, really good D-line. But – I mean, I guess as a Ravens fan, it doesn't hurt me to see him go because just of how, you know, how dominant he could be at times. But I definitely understand it, and he's doing what's best for him, and he had a really successful NFL career. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that kind of wraps it up. I think uh, something we want to start doing again. We kind of started it – we did it a couple of times at the beginning of the podcast, um, kind of just something random at the end of the pod that we saw sports-related, half-sports-related, whatever that may be. Um, just something that we see that was funny or thought was cool. I think I remember the, the one we talked about for a bunch was well, that Drew Jones clip where the overrated chance and he parks one 450 dead center. Uh, that was pretty funny. So we're gonna start doing this at the end of every episode. Um, kind of gonna tinker with the name a little bit, get a cool name for it by next week for sure. And mess with kind of the next week, but um, I'll start it off here. Um, something that kind of so that was kind of funny. So this is Dodgers related, but I we're reaching, we're grasping at straws for, for stuff right now just to see. So I'm, I'm going to go with what I saw that on Twitter today. So Clayton Kershaw's on, he's on the injured list. He's got like some elbow inflammation. 
I think it's precautionary for the most part for him. Um, and getting him some rest, he's gonna do like a rehab start. So most of the time, like I got hurt in the MLB, he'll do like a rehab assignment, and you'll go play like a couple double A AA or triple A games against some lesser opponents, and just kind of get right, see the ball well. Well, Clayton Kershaw is gonna go pitch, not not triple A, not double A, not high A, but low A ball. He's gonna go pitch for the Rancho Rancho Cucamonga Quakes, the Dodgers low A team. He's gonna go pitch a a, a rehab start. I mean, could you imagine being a, like what, like a like a nineteen year old single yeah. A play, low A player who got drafted like what a year or so ago, and you're gonna go see a guy who's a first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, dude. Dude's throwing. You're gonna be seeing stuff you've never like sliders, curveballs you've never seen in your life before. I think that's hilarious. Um, I just I I, I chuckled earlier. I, I saw when I was on Twitter right before we started, and I thought that was hilarious. Um, like last year, I think. Cody Bellinger took like a rehab assignment in with the double A team and like the opposing team's Twitter was like, someone's in help. There's this guy named Cody Bellinger. Who's just raking against us. He had like three homers and it's like, well, he's seeing terrible pitchers. So like, it yeah. makes sense. But I just thought it was funny. Like usually like if it was like double A big, yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, we see double A hitters, but he's seeing some low A hitters right now, like some low A ball players. I just think it's hilarious. So that was funny. Um, I, it makes sense like geographically because the Dodgers, High A team is in Great Lakes, which is not close to LA. And then they've got uh, Tulsa and Oklahoma City. So keeping them at home, I get it that way. But I just think it's funny that that's how it works out. Yeah, it's definitely funny. It'd be funny to see kind of what how that outing goes for him. Uh, but real quick, uh, non-related, uh, as we kind of shift back to NFL, it was just announced that the Bills signed wide receiver Tavon Austin. Um, no, no specifics on the deal yet. I assume it's a one-year deal, um, but definitely a good depth piece, I think, for them there. I uh, only played seven games last year. But, I mean, the Bills, that's a good sign. That's the spot where he could produce well um, Yeah. in comparison to other offenses. The greatest but, hype video of all time. The I want, greatest hype video of all time is the Tavon Austin West Virginia highlight clip. It's like an 11-minute video on YouTube. Yeah, West Virginia. The greatest hype video of all time. If you want to get like turned up and like you want to go to the gym and just move some serious weight, you want to like hype yourself up, go watch the Tamil Austin highlight video. It's insane. That guy's ridiculous. Some of the most insane highlights I've ever seen in college. Yeah, it, it was crazy watching that clips back from his days at West Virginia. Uh, but yeah, we we want to get this going again for y'all as we kind of want to evolve the podcast and maybe get some intro music and intro things and then close out episodes with some kind of sports related stuff, but not specific things, just kind of random things that happen day to day. Um, still coming up with a name for maybe some intro or some outro stuff. But my thing, if, I mean, there's a YouTube kind of a group of guys I watch on YouTube and I know a lot of people watch them that are into golf uh, and they They've only been around for about two years now. Uh, I've been watching them since really the day they started almost. And they're called Good Good Golf. Uh, it's a bunch of, you know, 24 to 30-year-old guys. There's six main guys. Um, they really run it. And they've all become millionaires in the past two years just because of it. Um, they're approaching a million subscribers on YouTube. They each have their own channels, which range from 100 to 700,000 subscribers as well. Um, guys that are just destroying the YouTube game right now. Um, one of the guys, his name is Garrett. Uh, he was kind of the founder of this thing. And 
kind of put it on his back and kept it going while he's while the other guys that ended up joining were kind of in college pondering if they wanted to go graduate from college or drop out or not. Garrett was kind of the one leading it and he grew up watching Mr. Beast as a lot of YouTube fans our age did. And he saw a video where Mr. Beast gave a hundred thousand dollars to his parents um, just to give back and basically say thanks for all they did for him. And the, Garrett posted a video last week that was really cool. Uh, him giving his parents a hundred thousand um, dollars at the home that he grew up in, in Kansas city. Uh, so that was super cool to see. Um, you know, these guys have, dominated golf youtube for the past couple of years since they really started because of covid back in march 2020 and i just thought that was really really cool i mean obviously i'm not gonna have a youtube career um so i probably wouldn't be able to do that hey you but say that could, you say that you say that if I, you never know if i could if i could maybe someday uh that'd be something really cool to do and that channel i mean i've watched pretty much every video that comes out and i've seen one of them have a hole in one on a par four. The same guy have a hole in one on a par three. And Garrett just hit the best shot of his career uh, today in a video that's coming out later this week. Uh, it's kind of cool that it happened just after he gave his parents $100,000. Um, not anything on the professional level or anything, just a side note in the sports realm that I thought was really, really cool. Um, he said the shot was on a par five, so I assume it was like a 250-yard shot. Uh, on his second shot, but nonetheless, really cool for him. Kind of cool that he gets that right after giving his parents a hundred K. Um, obviously the way YouTube is, you make your money off, you know, views and comments and all this stuff that people that watch your videos do. So having a shot like that brings you a lot of money. So that was really fun to see. It's going to change drastically, you know, kind of the things we talk about to close out each episode week to week. I just thought that was really cool. Um, glad we're getting this going again. I want to kind of get the podcast evolving a little bit and mix things up just to keep the interest up. I mean, if someone got bored listening, we, I mean, we got different news each week, but I was just thinking we go with this because I really enjoyed when we did it the first few times on the first few episodes. So um, we're looking for us to kind of get back to this a little more, uh, but I mean, other than that, I think that's pretty much it for the 14th episode already. Um, kind of crazy how fast this is going. We did the eight mock drafts, so we're nearing 25 total episodes. Um, and we might add another episode during the week at some point. Just got to see, you know, kind of what piques the interest of people. But right now, we got a lot going on. I mean, it's exciting time in the sports world. While NFL is not maybe maybe not too much is happening, just retirement and signings and OTAs. We got NHL and NBA playoffs. MLB is getting to the good part of the season. PGA Tour is going on with a bunch of majors. So there's a lot going on and fun to follow. And we just like keeping you all updated and kind of like switching it up and getting the latest news. But, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, follow us at our socials, Twitter and pod, Twitter and Instagram at Cold Seat Podcast. Um, you have anything? No, I think, I think I echo what you said. I think, you know, we're both a little more free this summer now that – you know, spring semester is over. Um, I know we're both in a couple of classes over the summer, but it's lesser course load. I know we're both working, but it's, you know, we're not working, you know, we're not, we're not jam-packed every day. So we want to try to innovate and, and kind of cultivate some new stuff on the pod. Like you said, want to bring back something like, you know, the, the kind of the random stuff at the end, and then maybe look for a couple, a couple of midweek episodes outside of the regular one, potentially. Um, like you said, we're just kind of trying to 
you know, innovate, cultivate some new stuff here and there. Um, we love doing this kind of stuff. Hopefully you guys, you know, love the content we're putting out. Uh, anyone has any, you know, feedback or anything they want to see, let us know in the comments on uh, Twitter or the, uh, I guess, reviews on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, um, let us know. Instagram, Twitter, whatever it is, DMs, let us know. But uh, I think that's about it. And we will see you guys on next Thursday. Yeah, see ya.